Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Igor Soroka. Igor is a software consultant at Soroka Tech with a focus on digital transformations where he is giving hands-on technical consulting on AWS migrations, the building of DevOps practices, and adopting serverless technologies. Igor is a highly motivated, self-driven, and confident IT professional who actively participates in hackathons, meetups, and conferences, which has earned him the title of AWS Community Builder. Outside of work, Igor is an avid runner and skier. For more content with both Igor and myself, check out the latest episode of the serverless panel. Uh, Link will be in the description of this episode uh, in the show notes. So with all that introduction out of the way, how are you doing today, Igor? I'm doing great, Ryan. Uh, thank you for having me today. Um, you told so many things about myself, <laughs> but you forgot one one point here that I, that I got uh, six certificates uh, from AWS uh, starting last year. So that's my achievement now. I'm uh, SA Pro and DevOps Engineer Pro. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Um. So on that on that note, let's uh. Let's dive into that. So how did you, um, when did you start getting AWS certifications and how like quickly did you get this entire amount uh, that you have now? Like how was that a year period? Was that six months? Like, what did that, that look like? Um, I have started um, almost three years ago and was part of the job assignment, let's say, um, because there was a program in the big corporate that uh, okay, guys, you can be certified. Uh, we will give you time on your work uh, to do so. And I was thinking, yeah, that's a great opportunity. Why not to try it? So that's uh, that was my first certificate, and it was developer associate exam. And I was um, completely stunned by the idea that I can get this certificate, and uh, it will be just uh, during my work time, basically. And um, it gave me so much perspective, honestly, on what uh, what is AWS, and uh, I got acquainted with many different services. And yeah, and after that, uh, it took me uh, more than two years uh, to understand that I would like to go for more certificates. And uh, thanks AWS for having the uh, challenge for AWS Architect Associate exam. I think they gave the discount for the people who want to participate. And the main condition was to um, to get certified before uh, reInvent 2021. And I took the challenge. I decided, OK, why not? <laughs> and uh, I realized, OK, I took the uh, SA uh, Associate, this is how we call Solutions Architect. And then why not to, to get uh, SysOps, because I was doing infrastructure at that point. And it was <laughs> kind of a journey when I started to do it one by one after month after month. Um, and it was kind of great. Uh, the easiest was cloud practitioner because I, I made it in 27 minutes. Uh, and it was like <laughs> incredible how easy it was. Uh, because of course I was working with AWS like day to day for a couple of years already. Uh, but the, the hardest one was uh, DevOps engineer. Of course, I wrote an article even about this and, uh, it was quite, quite a popular one actually. Yeah. No, I, I remember, um, Personally, I failed the DevOps uh, professional back in, uh, was it 2019 or something? Something like that. It's like 2019, maybe. And I think I was still working at Nike at that point. So maybe that was 2018. Regardless, that's a hard test. Like the professional exams are, are no joke. So you said you have the Solutions Architect Pro and also the DevOps Pro now. Okay. Yes, and, and also a CSOPs uh, administrator and cloud practitioner. Um, okay. Yeah. 
complementing my old one with this developer associate. So when it came to preparing for that, because I know that's like a really hot topic of like, how do people prepare for that test? And there's like a whole format of the questions, which sometimes, you know, if you're not prepared for reading a paragraph, for instance, you might be thrown off by that. So like, what resources do you use to um, prepare yourself other than just the day-to-day work that you do? Yeah, that's that's a great question and super popular to ask these questions in different forums or community uh, specific uh topics and everywhere where people are discussing these kind of things. Uh, and I would say that I really uh, recommend to start with some basic exams, even with the cloud practitioner, because cloud practitioner gives you the uh, understanding of the format of the exams and gives the nice discount for the next ones at the same time. So you're getting kind of two benefits. So I would suggest to go for cloud practitioner if you're already uh, having some experience with uh, AWS. Um, and even if you don't have uh, the experience, it's really a good thing to, to do. And after that, um, any associate level will work. Basically, I would say that uh, CSOPs administrator is kind of um, more specific than developer associate and solutions architect, uh, because solutions architect and developer associate, they are really intersecting a lot, to be honest. And sysops administrators go into the direction of cloud formation, code deploy, and all this DevOps for starters, I would say. Okay, yeah, that's, that's super helpful. Uh, yeah, and then I guess like, um, did you use like a specific website other than the exams, like um, like video courses at all? Yeah, I used, and uh, I have experience with that because I, I used to actually. So I started my journey with a cloud guru. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks guys for making this website, honestly. Uh, I think um, it's a great starter for people who want to go into certificates and it shows a lot of these uh, tips and tricks and uh, it's concentrating a lot on the small things, how to do it. But uh, recently I switched to Cloud Academy and uh, I started to feel that Cloud Academy is uh, a more serious one, and it has really this opportunity to get the knowledge uh, while learning at the same time, because it's uh, less specific on the exams, but more on the topics. And that gives the broader perspective for what they are learning for. That's why I passed uh, I passed CSOPs, DevOps, and uh, SA Pro with the with the cloud academy but i'm not affiliated with them and uh, i would say that uh, they are really great guys and doing great things and also cloud guru is is a great source uh, but i would say that you should try both or even other ones also but regarding the trials of the exams itself i think that now tutorials dojo is the best source and uh, I tried it so many times, so that's why I really can recommend it if you like to go and practice, really. And of course, uh, now AWS started this AWS Skill Builder, which I really could recommend for those who are starting their joining certificates because they have nice um, paths and also practice tests uh, because they moved uh, because they moved from the paid ones to the free ones on Skill Builder. So you should definitely check it out. Oh, that's awesome. And just to restate that for everybody, uh, a Cloud Guru, Cloud Academy, uh, Tutorials Dojo, and then the Skill Builder for AWS. And we'll have those uh, in the show notes as well. So um, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And that's 
that's like um that's a lot of different resources for both the exam like literal question tests as well as you know things from aws underneath that umbrella and a little bit of difference between a cloud guru and cloud academy so um hopefully the audience finds that uh, insightful now switching topics a little bit uh how did you get here like how did you get into serverless how did your journey with tech start like Let's run it back to maybe early days of, of Igor's journey um, and then kind of bring us to today. Honestly, my serverless journey started uh, from the mechanical engineering field. So I was far, far away from the clouds even. And uh, I studied aircraft engines first, then automation, uh, automation of the plants and uh, hydraulic machines, for example, like that. And from the automation, I think I moved to the proper programming languages uh, because I understood, okay, if I want to do better automation, I need to know some language. And I decided, okay, I should start something. And I started with Java first, then C++ or C. I almost failed my exam with the real uh, time operating systems and embedded embedded systems because it was super complicated for me and I didn't have enough knowledge, honestly, but it was a great uh, studying exercise to do these things. And um, after that, uh, I moved to being completely backend engineer uh, focused on integration and Java. And it was a healthcare company and we were doing many, many great things. Uh, but there I realized, okay, how is it uh, about managing your own data center and uh, how it's complicated to do server-related stuff. And it was honestly quite a right for me. But I learned many things. So uh, I learned uh, to be... I learned, to, I learned to be the person who is not afraid of going to the command line and do something on the server and... Uh, doing this uh, bash scripting and stuff like that. And uh, at some point in my uh, Java journey, I realized, okay, there is something else. <laughs> I should try definitely to write my Telegram bot. And Telegram bot uh, started uh, with the idea that uh, Java could be more complicated for doing so. Why not try uh, JavaScript and Node.js? And Node.js uh, Node led me to the cloud, actually. I started with Heroku. And Heroku was a really nice start. And I believe even now uh, you can start really easy and fast with the, with the things uh, which you can accomplish. And especially with the Telegram bot, I was uh, thinking that I need just to run some server. That's why uh, it was already a start. Um, but at some point I went to JavaScript conference. And at that JavaScript conference, I met uh, Slobodan Stajanovic, uh, who is uh, one of the serverless advocate. I think the first serverless advocate I uh, met in my life, and it was just incredible. I understood that this is like mind blowing that you can just write some function and you will be having the code and it will be running in the cloud and you don't care about any servers, containers, or whatever. And I think it was uh, already 2017, I believe. And from 2017, I started to play with serverless. And then I realized that I want to work more with that. And then all my jobs were more and more related to serverless. And then when I started consulting, I decided to solely focus on uh, serverless projects and 
now serverless means that it's AWS managed services and also event-driven architectures and this kind of things. But on the way to this, I also learned a lot about cloud infrastructure. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting story to go from mechanical engineering, make a transition, pick up Java first, and then slowly get into JavaScript, Node.js, and then find yourself in cloud, and then just little by little. Um, I can actually draw some parallels to my own story, because um, I was not a mechanical engineer, so I'm not going to make that. <laughs> I was definitely not doing anything like that. But I was in um, code school, and I was prior to code school, I was doing uh, Android apps and writing Java. And uh, and then I got into a code school specifically doing more Java, then found JavaScript, and then found like serverless, and then found a cloud guru, and then started taking like courses and stuff, and then heard serverless is the future, and just followed that thread. And then, you know, and I did the same thing with um, serverless guru, uh, just being like a serverless only type of consulting agency. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so I guess like, you know, jumping into that topic getting to today, how, is, how has that been um, being a serverless consultant? Um, how long have you been at it? Do you enjoy it? And uh, yeah. Thanks for your story, actually. I think there are many people who switched from some career to, in, uh, to software. And also, I noticed uh, that uh, not only me switching from aircraft engineering or mechanical engineering specifically. So there are many people and big kudos to those who are doing these kind of things. And my dream at some point to go to projects related to automation and uh, doing some PLC data gathering, for example, to report them to the cloud and do something with it. Probably I would come to this point, but my serverless consulting started almost two years ago. Uh, I think it will be in June, like exactly two years. And it was an interesting ride because I, I have not planned it in advance. I was thinking that I would like to work with with the stack I really enjoy. And it was Node.js, it was AWS, it was Lambdas, it was SQS, SNS, all of these services. And I was thinking that uh, that would be a great, great idea to do such a thing. Uh, and then um, I was approached by the career recruiter and it was a contract position. And I decided, okay, I should try. Uh, and uh, that's that's how I escaped second uh, escaped second time from the healthcare company. And uh, this was a funny part that I uh, was thinking to do great things, but then realized, okay, it's maybe not my cup of tea. And then um, thinking that, Let's go and try something else. And uh, I spent uh, half a year with a cybersecurity firm, and I really, really enjoyed it. And after that, I worked already in the advertising, e-commerce, and some other things, and now developing some internal tools for big company. And I feel that this is an interesting journey because a uh, new project uh, will mean for me the new challenges, and I really enjoy it. Uh, at the same time, delivering business value for my customers and helping uh, them to solve their real-world problems. Yeah, absolutely. Do you um, do you prefer like um, building like greenfield applications or migrations? Um, like, where do you get like the most enjoyment? Uh, like, what pro- what type of projects and stuff? I think many of people who you're asking will be saying that greenfield projects are the best. Uh, and I also feel that Greenfield projects are, are really cool to work with. But uh, 
the problem is that the bigger the company, the more restrictions you have. And it's basically the nature of business where you have uh, limitations. And that's why nowadays I started to feel that gradual improvements and migrations are becoming more and more interesting to me uh, because uh, there are many opportunities, honestly, but you need a lot of creativity and um, selling to the business side that it's forced to try. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that if I was pressed against it, I'd be like Greenfield for sure. I I, I do enjoy the, the, the uh, have you like done like training and things like that and like seeing that moment when someone that you're helping learn serverless or AWS like starts to understand it? I, I really like those moments because like the you just kind of see the lights turn on and then they start being independently able to like build stuff. And then you start seeing like maybe either do code reviews or something. And then the way that they're writing the code is like also the way that you kind of showed them how to write it. And you kind of see that journey happen. Yeah. So I think that that might be like my my favorite uh, area. And so I guess that leans more towards like uh, that's mine. Um, I, I love training, things like that uh, as well. So I guess like if you were going to build a Greenfield application today, it's March 16th, 2022. Um, hello, people from the future watching this. Um, how would you build it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how would you go about building it? Would you use like a GraphQL? Would you use some other like technologies? Would you use the REST API? Like how would you construct this thing? If it was a web application, let's say. I think... It depends a lot on the use case. The more data you have uh, on your uh, API requirements, the bigger the need of a upsync, I would say, because you will need definitely to filter and see smaller amount. Uh, but if it is something that is not needed to be super complicated, maybe you can start with REST API and uh, this kind of things. But I would say that upsync has a really great potential and many uh, people are already using it. I know that you're a big uh, fan of Upsync. I think service grower is using it almost on every project, as I understand. Uh, but as for me, I'm still honestly studying Upsync and uh, making more use of it. And I would say that it would be great um, to start every project with Upsync, but there are always some limitations um, because something something will be already done by somebody. If it's a greenfield, of course, you can go with Subsync and maybe it will be easier. Then for uh, for databases, you can use DynamoDB for the level of uh, messaging SQSS and S, of course. Maybe you will need Kafka at some point because there is also managed Kafka, but it depends a lot. Uh, maybe you don't need, maybe you can start with SQSS and S only. Yeah, and lambdas, of course, <laughs> they will be your computational core, and I believe even in the future it won't be changed. No, that's a, that's a I 100% agree. There's going to be we're going to be swarmed by lambdas until until the internet stops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also yeah, uh, also I believe that step functions are really great tool to use uh, because you can do invocations like directly from step functions. I have not tried it honestly for a while, but I know that there is a lot of development 
regarding the step functions. And it would be great to go and try it at some point. And even with the step functions, uh, your border be between implementation and infrastructure is becoming very, very transparent because you go to the field where you're writing infrastructure from one point of view, but from the other side, you're just writing the whole logic already in the step functions because you can save to the database, query something or get data and doing it without numbers. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have a team um, at Serverless Guru that's working very heavily with step functions. And I've just been watching, I'm not working on it actively myself, but I just kind of like pop in all the threads to all the different projects we have going. And the advancement of step functions and the UI that like shows how they're flowing and the architecture and all that stuff that they have like set up um, to do retries and all that stuff. Um, I remember back when that wasn't there. <laughs> And you just have like, I mean, even if you were going to just not use step functions and then basically just stitch them some lambdas together, uh, maybe have some queues in between or SNS topics or whatever else that looks like or a DynamoDB stream. But you, that architecture view of it, it's it's almost like it can become unwieldy at, uh, you know, as you scale out if you don't have something like that. Um, you know, would you agree with that? Would you disagree? Like how how is the, the management of serverless applications as they scale? Like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it really it really depends on the scale itself. And I also would like to add about the pricing. So step functions could be more expensive than just uh, pairing uh, lambdas with SQS. So you always should, should be considering these kind of choices. And I think nowadays with so many possibilities, even from the one provider, you should definitely try to predict uh, your workloads and I think that's why there are people like cloud economists, <laughs> which is completely nonsense for me. Uh, like a couple of years ago, maybe it was a, it was something that very unusual. But now I see that many many people already working into this space, and I know that big consultancy firms they are already working into optimizing their current uh, cloud workloads in such in the ways how to make them cheaper, for example. So many lambdas could be a problem, but it can be a really great thing at the same time. It depends on your team. And as you said about the training, you need to train, educate people and talk with them. And the teams itself should be sharing the knowledge between each other and see how they can manage the lambdas with many things. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and while you're, while you're talking and um... I'm starting to go through infrastructure and hearing that over and over again. And then we talked about it right before we started the podcast. Um, and then for those who haven't seen it, I shouted it out at the beginning. Definitely check out our panel uh, with Igor as well, where we talked about infrastructure a little bit. But prior to us pressing the record button, you mentioned that you had been um, doing a little bit more stuff with Terraform at a, a little bit more crisper, um, uh, like, um, uh, what is it, way to talk about it, I guess. Um, so yeah, so let's jump into Terraform. Um, so I guess like, where do we start? Um, how do you want to kick off this conversation around Terraform? Terraform is great if you haven't worked with other infrastructure as code. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, I, I would put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's dive into that. Yeah. So, um, if I, yeah. So what makes you say that, I guess, like what makes you say that if you haven't worked with other ones, Terraform is great. I came. 
mostly from the AWS background. That's why I skipped uh, Azure infrastructure or Google Cloud. Uh, but I would say that I came solely from the um, from the perspective of AWS, and I tried cloud formation in many different forms already. I started my journey with the serverless framework, for example, or this Claudia.js, which was basically JavaScript code for the configuration of Lambdas. I tried cloud formation itself, SAM, for example, also service application model. I used all of them. And I would say the best part there was that I always backed by <laughs> cloud formation. With the Terraform, I backed by the Terraform state files. And you need to share them, you need to store them somewhere, and you need to do their own magic like they want, basically. Of course, cloud formation is a very uh, also rigid, and uh, it also makes you stuck into the AWS field, let's say. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, you're getting the way of controlling and see from your AWS console what's happening with your infrastructure. And what is the state of this infrastructure? You can see the drifts of this infrastructure, what was changed, which is a great thing because uh, I have recently worked with a project where there were some drifts and there were some changes, you know, some tweaks of lambdas, for example. And with cloud formation, you can definitely notice it because it's basically checking it against the template that it was deployed. And uh, what is the state now? With Terraform, you can do it basically, yes. But sharing a ter Terraform state could be an issue, honestly, from my experience, from what I was working with. So, of course, you're storing it in S3 bucket, basically. But making it work, it's also sometimes a mess. But I understand that um, Terraform is really great service and a really great uh, tool for the people who are using multiple providers and they want more more centralized ways of doing things and of course if you have azure in your cloud infrastructure if you have this zoo of cloud providers of course you could go with uh, terraform and it would be a great thing for you but if you are solely on aws it's better to stay with cloud formation based uh, frameworks so i was thinking that you know being against some of the tools for um, infrastructure as code is a nice thing. But now I got the idea that there are like just two camps. One camp is for Terraform and another camp is for cloud formation backed uh, frameworks and tools. And I would say the cloud formation backed tools, it doesn't matter, Pulumi, <laughs> CDK or whatever, doesn't matter because here you're just going and doing your CloudFormation stack, and you can see it in there. With Terraform, you're doing pure magic, I believe. Even if you know what you are doing with your infrastructure, if you have done API gateway setup many times, it's a little bit different, always. Yeah, this is great. And so I think I think we should make it like tangible for the the audience because I've I've had times where the almost every client because Terraform is. I don't know the history of it. It feels like it's it's something that's been around for longer than we've been in our current state uh, of things. And so I've noticed with uh, bigger clients that are more enterprise, they've been around for decades. Uh, they usually come in with Terraform things when they start working in the cloud. 
and then they're starting to pick up some cloud formation based uh, frameworks, but it's still a transition process. And so um, obviously serverless guru were like 99% AWS uh, focused. And so pretty much all we do is AWS. And usually when we they hire us, they also pretty much only do AWS. Um, but there is a level of their involvement with Terraform. So I guess if we had to make a balance, like if it was 100% on AWS, would you say CloudFormation backed frameworks? Okay. Yes. Okay. And then yes, I'm I'm completely nowadays. Okay. I'm more into this because I feel that you don't need Terraform if you're solely on AWS and you're not planning to go to another provider. So if you're not having plans of using infrastructure as code for other resources, which based on some other cloud providers, definitely using CloudFormation will help you and save you enormous amount of time, I would say, because you will be always with the AWS and their offering. You're not trying to, you know, to find your own way, I would say. Okay, okay. And then, so let's go to uh, 90% AWS, 10% something else. Would you then consider using Terraform across the board, or would you use CloudFormation-based frameworks for the 90%, 10% in Terraform that's not on AWS? How do you think about that mix? Depends on your future predictions. Do you have an idea that Azure services, resources, applications will be growing? Do you think that you will be having uh, more resources in Azure, for example? If you are having old legacy applications running on Microsoft Azure, I would say that going to CloudFormation will save you tons tons of effort but with the situation where um, Azure resources will be growing you would be in the situation where maybe Terraform could be your option but you always need to be mindful <laughs> about this decision because the states are the most important thing when you're going to infrastructure as code and I noticed it recently because I moved to Terraform uh, project again, and there are limitations of not doing cloud formation backed resources now. And even if the main infrastructure person understands that maybe Terraform is not the best tool to use, and maybe he likes even AWS, it's not always the case that you like or dislike. It depends on what is your goal here. For this person, the goal is to centralize the CI CD. Uh, pipelines for the ton for the tons of projects for thousands of them and of course it's better to use just terraform you need terraform blend terraform apply awesome it works fine but when i'm uh, working with the clients where there is more like aws related things of course i would be definitely advocating for any framework or tool related to cloud formation. It would be maybe SAM for serverless or CDK or serverless framework even, because there are many good things about them, honestly. Yeah, no, this is this is great. So yeah, it's like, um, what do you think about the future and how seriously are you in considering moving things to a different platform or expanding out that way? And then if you are, maybe Terraform is worth more consideration. I read this book a while back uh, from the Twilio CEO. I'll say I, I read part of the book. <laughs> I won't say I read the entire thing because I read I read a portion of the book. Um, <laughs> but I really liked it because it it 
uses a concept of the developers who are actually building the thing. Sometimes they're not brought into the conversations with product and with other teams, but they are actually the ones like on the ground. There's almost like this, hey, you're over there. You just write the stuff, but let us make the decisions type of thing. And then this book is like, no, flip it. Let the developers actually be part of that conversation. So I guess like, I also want to frame it uh, in terms of Terraform. Um, I'm hitting really hard against it, but for like developers, for instance, let's say there still is that balance of like different clouds, but for the developers that are specifically on AWS, working solely on AWS, because obviously, you know, you have six certifications on AWS and uh, you know that that takes years to get that knowledge. Now, if somebody asked you, hey, Igor, we need to do that level of advanced stuff on Azure, it might take you a little bit to get up to speed on like how that stuff works. But there are people that actually are senior plus people in Azure or on GCP. And so I guess in this analogy, this company that's doing multi-cloud, they might have two different people, one person that's like a senior AWS and one person that's a senior GCP. And so for the senior AWS person, that's only working on AWS um, and those developers that are only working on AWS, do you think it's worth almost like on high saying everybody uses Terraform? Or do you think it's a, because I guess in my opinion, the reason why I'm kind of like framing it this way is I found Terraform to be inefficient compared to less less efficient than the other ones that you mentioned, like CDK, SAM, serverless framework uh, for AWS like development. If I was building like REST APIs or, DynamoDB to Lambdas and all this other stuff. Um, I've, I've always found it to be faster and cleaner to use the AWS native stuff. So I guess setting this whole picture up, you know, you're on this, you're giving consulting to a client and they're asking you like, do we tell our AWS developers to use Terraform or do we let them use uh, a native AWS framework? What would you kind of, what would you say? Or how would you think about that? I would say that people who are senior with AWS, they will manage their way through Terraform. Because uh, for me, because I know, <laughs> I know many things about AWS. I could manage Terraform because uh, there are some specifics regarding this uh, HCL language, but it's becoming better, I would say, because a couple of years ago when I touched Terraform, it was not so nicely done. Now there are many good things and templating, uh, Modularizing is really good. Um, but the thing is that um, Terraform was basically invented and made in the ways when there were no uh, CDK, for example. And that's why these modules are really great to have. Now you have CDK and you have the CDK constructs. And of course, it's, a, it's the big thing because you can uh, structure your stack, whatever you want. You can have one stack with multiple uh, constructs and they, they will be having everything inside what you need. But the thing regarding your uh, regarding your question is that Terraform versus cloud formation based uh, tools, it's always uh, a thing which team should be deciding and not only just one guy saying, okay, you all should do Terraform now. And of course, there are many ways of how to integrate things together. I believe that uh, this kind of hybrid tools are becoming more and more popular, like for example, CDK uh, Terraform, which I really at some point want to try because basically it's uh, giving you the abilities of CDK, but uh, writing valid Terraform 
which is a nice thing. I'm just thinking that there should be a tool which helps you also to check your uh, stuff with the cloud formation at the same time, even if you're using Terraform. But I believe at some point, maybe this thing will arise. Maybe we should make them. I don't know, because there's, there is definitely something should be done in this, uh, in this field, because uh, I know that it's like really hard to migrate everything to cloud formation or the CDK or the same. It's like, like an enormous amount of work. If you need, even if you want to clean small uh, REST API uh, in Terraform, you need time, basically. And if you want to make it proper way of modularizing things, but if you want to write everything from Terraform to CDK or SAM or Service Framework, you will need more time. So that's the the issue here that uh, I don't believe in these decisions where one person decides for everybody. And that's why the person uh, whom I, I talked uh, recently about the Terraform and CICD and centralized ways of doing this and for the whole company, uh, he said that they would like to consider doing the cloud formation at some point and make the CICD supporting the cloud formation, which means that it's a totally new thing for the whole development teams. And I think this has different, it has future because if they want to make CI CD with a Terraform, it's, it's fine. They could, could do it with their Jenkins running it in virtual uh, machines of Tower, but making the opportunity to use something else, it's also great, I believe. And of course, if your team is small and you have mostly people who knows, who know Terraform, of course you should, try out the uh, Terraform maybe, or if you want to jump into the space of infrastructure as code, maybe native services are better. But with the majority of people in Terraform, you should just understand why should you use Terraform? What's the be- what are the benefits of using Terraform for your particular project? And that's why I really like uh, to have these presentations and discussions at the same time with the teams uh, regarding the things and evaluating it and having the analysis. Even if I say that, okay, Terraform is really bad, but <laughs> I, I try not to be the person who is saying everything is bad and you should change it immediately. <laughs> so how is uh, it for you actually working with the clients who are eager to use some kind of the tool? What, what are your experience? Yeah, well, I, I think that um, I, I loved your response because I think that um, I, I get like worked up about it. But in reality, I think I, I fall more in line with the, what you said around just the everything's a gray area, you know, like it's it's like does Terraform work. Like you said, you have a team of Terraform developers. Yeah, it works. Are you a senior developer that's worked with cloud formation, all that stuff? You'll probably be fine understanding Terraform in, in a couple of days or a week. And, and so I, there's like a there's like a nuance thing like is all your stuff already Terraform and you have all your processes and procedures around it? Okay, then maybe it makes more sense. And then, you know, what we've seen is people come in with Terraform only stuff. Obviously we specialize in serverless framework type of more like native cloud formation frameworks. And so then we kind of bridge that gap by saying, hey, here, let's draw a line. Things that don't get touched very often that, you know, because they want to still create the silos and, and unfortunately, as a consultant, as you know probably pretty well, you can't you can't shake a client <laughs> and make them do something that they aren't ready to do. You know, like it's uh, even if you know it's the right decision, and you tell that to them, and you present them the information, it's ultimately up to them to go left or right. 
And that could be motivated by internal politics, not wanting to make too much change, uh, whatever, whatever other uh, parameters are out there. So, so yeah, so I would say that um, for me personally, if you have Terraform, great. Maybe it's a phased approach to moving away from it. Uh, if everything's on AWS, then I would say, let's take the VPC, those um, core things that'll be owned by somebody that already is comfortable with Terraform, we'll keep it Terraform. And then we'll just bridge the gap to the cloud native, uh, or sorry, not cloud native, but the um, cloud formation backed frameworks, um, like serverless framework, for instance. And then we'll just use some type of uh, mechanism to basically pass the output variables of like the VPC ID or the subnet IDs to the uh, serverless framework stacks or SAM stacks. So they can import those in and seamlessly work together. Um, and that allows for kind of like both parties to be happy. And then ultimately, we'll just try to push harder on like serverless framework or another another uh, cloud formation framework. So, yeah. So you know, but ultimately, to wrap that whole thing up, I think that everything's gray area, and you gave a, a perfect breakdown um, there. Even though I tried to make you say like, is it is it on or off? Is it zero or one? <laughs> Terraform or not Terraform? Um, so, but as we're kind of coming to, uh, towards the end of it, I do want to get into some more like personal things. Um, so I, I was, I was told you're an avid runner. Um, so let's talk about that. So in terms of your private life, um, you're an avid runner and, uh, we re recently, so we spoke to Alan, uh, Helton on the podcast as well. That was hosted by, uh, Josh Proto from the serverless guru team. So kind of the interesting question that um, Jonathan from our side, who's our, our head of marketing, wanted wanted me to ask is, do you think there's any qualities of being a runner that translate to life as a developer? I don't know, but I would love to hear your response. Uh, that's actually the part I really enjoyed uh, um, in the discussion with Alan. And it was a really great episode regarding the architecture and changes and everything. And I really liked it. But it's really hard to formulate something better than he because he's uh, even more experienced runner than me. But I would like to add here that uh, focus is the thing which which need, which is needed in the software development or in this knowledge work where you're operating the field of abstractions and different kinds of uh, simulations. Let's say, um, not talking to Baudrillard and simulacra and simulation stuff, but saying that there are many things which are uh, definitely uh, intangible. And um, our mind is working like a lot with this uh, during the cloud development, software development, or any other work where knowledge is the thing which we are kind of uh, creating uh, pieces of information, let's say. And I think that running, cycling, skiing, or this uh, very aerobics-related uh, sports, they are really developing your brain in such a way that from one point of view, you are kind of um, switching off. But from the other perspective, you're basically developing your brain and making it bigger because of the oxygen you can take in. So that's why all the aerobics uh, are really helpful with that. And there are many studies regarding that. And even in my experience, uh, I would say that the mileage I got into uh, running and the hours I spent during software development, they are, these are actually equally important things, I would say. 
No, that's amazing. Um, to add to that, I, I used to do some running back uh, when I was in Portland. And uh, I think <laughs> I would do this like crazy thing where I would like try to run to like my absolute just like death pretty much, you know, like get to that like point where my whole face is red. I'm like, I can barely, yes. I'm not even jogging at that. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like slow walking <laughs> um, and like and limping. And yeah, I think there's like a level of like maybe the uh, as well, like it's it's hard. Like that's very difficult to push yourself to like that that level. Um, it's very demanding of your body. Um, and, you know, like you said, like your the oxygen you're taking into your brain and like how that has an effect and potentially also the uh, side of just doing hard things outside of work that then make the hard stuff that we do at work maybe slightly easier or, you know, like, because I, I know that when I'm trying to solve a problem and I'm frustrated programming, but then it doesn't necessarily compare to feeling like absolutely just completely exhausted and winded um, on like a really long run or something. So, um, yeah, here, here, I just like, uh, I would like to add that um, I started skiing recently. It was uh, awesome. last year. Yeah, last year I was more into skiing, and you saw, you know, this cross-country skiing where you're not just walking, but you're doing your whole body things, and you're doing like this crosses. And um, I think it's called cross-country skiing, which is basically the one which is in the competition in the Winter Olympics, for example, uh, when they are doing biathlon, for example, and. Uh, I think it's really also interesting that this kind of um, new ways of uh, exercising is also um, helping to be more productive in the end because it's like it's challenging, the whole body is working. Uh, I used to running, but then now I need to do something with my uh, with my hands, and it's like really complicated. Uphills is uh, is a, is an enormous thing to do. Honestly, it was like really hard in december but now uh, i became better into this and uh, here in finland actually it's uh, a really nice thing to do i think i was even inspired to do my small application for monitoring the ski tracks and giving me the notifications when the ski tracks they, it was my were maintained and i can go and ski this was an interesting also exercise and you try to cross uh, to do this cross-platform thing that you're kind of uh, crossing between your personal life and your uh, software life and uh, writing about this, for example. And challenging yourself is also great. And doing these kind of intervals, uh, it's also complicated. But on the other hand, uh, it's worth doing and worth trying. And I think that even sometimes nowadays, I feel that going for a walk, it's really a good thing to do because uh, it can be more productive than just sitting and uh, staring at your screen and trying to solve a problem when you're stuck, for example. So fresh air is always winning. Yeah, this is a uh, great, great advice and really cool to hear about the cross country skiing. I've, I grew up in Texas, which is like um, just a, a barren wasteland of corn fields and concrete. And so um, oh, okay. just completely flat, no mountains, <laughs> no hills, you know, <laughs> um, so and then now I'm in Puerto Rico and it's like warm and so on. I did, I obviously I was in Portland for five years and I had a mountain, uh, mountain hood. I had the ability to go and I never went. And then now I, I, I'm going to have to make a trip at some point to, to, to go skiing or snowboarding or something. Cause, uh, it sounds so peaceful, almost like it sounds like a lot of exercise sounds hard and complicated going uphill with skis. Um, it also yes. sounds very like tranquil and like, you know, 
just like in nature um, and immersed. So um, it's just an amazing feeling, I would say, when you're in the middle of the forest and you're doing yeah. skiing and it's like uh, already evening time and uh, it's dark actually, but we have um, artificial light during the tracks and it's, it's really amazing uh, just to feel the tranquility around. It's, a, it's a awesome. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. Um, one thing to add all to all the this this fitness uh, talk that we have going is, I think you know, uh, overarching of all this stuff is that you know our body is uh, you know it's a machine and we have to give it fuel and we have to like into like exercising, eating healthy, drinking water. Oh my gosh, so important to drink water. Drink more water if you're listening right now and if you haven't had any water today. Um, and doing those things, um, making our body run more efficiently, allowing our brain to be healthy, our body to be healthy. I think all that stuff naturally translates to being more productive or, or you know, and, and not even working more, just necessarily like doing more quality with the time that you do have. Uh, and I've definitely seen that in my, my own life, too. So, um, yeah, it's a super cool to hear about. Completely different type of thing because i've been doing surfing uh here surfing, in Puerto Rico. yeah i was thinking yeah so <laughs> yeah it's like surfing and then you have like skiing and it's like but we're both still accomplishing like the exact same thing and so that's that's really cool um, so is it like snowboarding how is it yeah so it, it's actually a lot of um so I, I played soccer for a long time and i did some running and stuff too and i've i've always done stuff with my feet mostly and so then surfing, obviously, when you stand up, but to stand up, you have to catch the wave. So really, it's a lot of paddling. <laughs> it's a lot of like overarm paddling for a really long time. <laughs> and you see a wave coming, you try to get into the right position, you might miss it slightly. Um, but uh, then once you get once you stand up, and you are actually riding a wave, and, um, and, and if it's a smaller wave, and it's closer to shore, maybe you get like a second or a couple of seconds. So it doesn't last really long but it still feels really good but then once you get more experience and you get further out away from the shore and maybe you get into like four foot waves or like five foot waves to six foot waves you can actually ride them for quite a while and that's where this like feeling of just like i had one moment where i i camped on the beach and then i went to surf at like 5 30 in the morning when the sun was like coming up and i just paddled out i think i was like the way that I like to say it is I was maybe the one of the first people on the island to be surfing that morning. And it's just because everything's quiet. The whole beach is like abandoned. Um, you know, there's no one there out that early. Sun's still like rising up over the horizon. And I'm paddling out over like a pretty shallow reef. And then I caught some waves. And when I did, while I'm like going across it, because the water's like very still and clear, I could see the reef underneath me as I was like surfing across it. And it was just this really interesting moment of just like, wow, like my feet are connected to this thing. I'm like in nature. I see the reef flowing underneath me. The sun is like coming up. Yeah, you can't, you can't beef, you can't beat things like that. And so I, I, I'm happy to hear you're getting this um, with uh, cross country skiing. And I, and I hope I get a chance to try that too, because that sounds really cool. Yeah, you should you should try then snowboarding because uh, if you go into Alps, for example, you can have a couple of kilometers of just balancing on your deck. Oh wow, so this could be much more uh, enjoyable even than just swimming and a couple of seconds <laughs> of waves. So you should try snowboarding. I think you yeah. will love it also. I don't know. Are there sharks in the? Because <laughs> part of the excitement, you know, surfing is that 
you might get you might have some wildlife creature come and try to you know so maybe there's like uh what's that um that abdominal snowman person or whatever that like people at the bigfoot you know maybe there's like a bigfoot that's like <laughs> comes out snatches you out of the forest um that's exciting uh, okay so coming to a close on this podcast um i do want to give you a chance to talk about things that you have going on right now coming up are you giving any talks are you writing new articles are there things that people should check out uh, that you have in progress um what are your thoughts um, I'm trying to be active, but honestly, nowadays it's a little bit complicated for me but due, due to personal reasons, honestly. But I would say that um, I'm preparing a couple of articles and um, there is a Twitter where I'm uh, talking about this and sometimes I'm writing there. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm studying the ways of using CDK and Sam. I, I talked about it in the serverless panel and I have the code written for that, but I'm preparing the article still. Um, and um, other things um, regarding to that, I would say that I'm having uh, different ideas uh, regarding the ways of uh, using Terraform, like we said, because now I see that it could be an interesting, not only comparison, but also speaking about um, background and confirmation based to translate it to the uh, Terraform, I would say. Um, and yeah, regarding the talks, um, just subscribe to my Twitter. I think something is coming. <laughs> there is a one secret, <laughs> secret um, day of the infrastructure. I would call it like that. Maybe there I will be a speaker, and uh, my plan is uh, to give a talk there. Let's see. I'm, it's not finalized yet. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So definitely check out Igor's Twitter. Uh, we'll have it in the show notes as well. Um, I'm also already posted something on Twitter uh, while we were getting going on this uh, podcast episode. And uh, so if you're not already following uh, Talking Serverless on Twitter, you should. I'm not sure how you found this podcast if you're not following. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that popular, but I'm pretty sure we drive the traffic from, the, from our Twitter. So we'll be posting all this information there as well for this episode. Um, but in... To close this episode out, um, I want to thank Igor again. Thank you, Igor, for being a guest um, on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. And to those listening, uh, this has been the Talking Servos podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show, want to learn more, check out uh, Talking Serverless IO or check us out on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest. Mm-hmm.